This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Welcome to the Carbon Connection. Today, we're trying a new format for this podcast. When the Carbon Connection launched one year ago, the objective was to highlight climate conversations that were happening around the world. The plan was to collaborate with hosts and producers of other podcasts and highlight the conversations they were having with their guests. You can click on the link in the show notes to see the conversations we've been able to share. Moving forward, we will continue to highlight climate conversations, only this time we're sitting down with partners of the Carbon Almanac Network. In this podcast, we'll speak with partners to learn more about their community engagement efforts, what has worked for them, what hasn't, what they've learned, and what they'd like to try but haven't yet had the opportunity to implement. We begin this new journey by speaking with Dr. Rob Slater, founder of One Devonshire Place, a specialty orthodontics practice in England. Rob is also a podcast producer and contributor to the Carbon Almanac Podcast Network. In today's episode, Rob and I discuss sustainability in dentistry. We discuss how Rob started his practice and what he's learned about making his practice more sustainable. Rob shares his successes, his challenges, and offers insight into how patients can begin conversations about sustainability with their family dentist. We hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, so I've been reading your bio and I've been learning a lot about you. So I'm going to start asking my own personal question here. You're the founder of One Devonshire Place? That's right, yes. Yeah. Find a little background about how you started your practice. Well, I, I did my specialist training down in London. And while I was doing that, I uh, met my um, current wife. And we started going out together and it happened that her parents lived in Birmingham, uh, which is where I was intending to return because that's where I studied dentistry. And so on returning to the city, um, we s sort of set up shop and uh, I, I started working for another practice, uh, which I did for three and a half years. Um, but during that time, I realized that I needed to set things up uh, so that I could build my specialist practice uh, in the way that I wanted to. So. Uh, this uh, building came up for sale just literally um, a week. It was, a, it was 10 days after my mum had, had died and she'd said uh, before she died that, um, that she, you know, if uh, she left me, uh, she'd said she hadn't got much money to leave, but if she did leave anything that uh, she'd like me to put it into setting up a business of my own. And so this building literally at the end of the street where I was living came up and it was the perfect place with a car park. And so I started it as a cold squat, and uh, that was in 2001. Uh, I opened the building uh, six days after my first son was born. <laughs> so I, uh, 
I have a photograph of me on the doorstep with this tiny little bundle in my in my hands. And so whenever I think about uh, the age of my practice, I just think I have to think of my son's birthday, which makes it very easy. Can you explain for listeners what a cold squat is? A cold squat is the term used in the UK for when you buy a building which hasn't been purposed yet. So it could, in this case, it was a printing business and the the building next door had five different businesses and so I thought I would never have the opportunity to to buy that um, but um, then once I bought the uh, bought the building I had to get planning permission to uh, to use it as a different type of business uh, so that's the cold squat so sorry I should have explained that <laughs> <laughs> no 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 this no this is wonderful that's good thank you okay and so your specialty from what I've read is orthodontic and specifically lingual orthodontic. It's one of the things that I, uh, I do uh, do. do. Uh, it actually started in the same year as I opened the practice. Uh, a lecturer came to visit, uh, visit me just literally to find out what, uh, what I did, and he mentioned lingual orthodontics to me. He was um, a, a lecturer, nothing to do with dentistry at um, Birmingham University, and, uh, and I was rather embarrassed because I'd never really heard of it. And... It just happened that that, that um, a book had been released a few years before, and I it, it was just on a bargain bucket thing in in the university library. So, having seen this guy and gone to the university to see if I could find any information, uh, I bought this book, started reading about it, and it was clear that uh, it was very much in its infancy. And uh, so, I uh, started exploring the possibility of providing this kind of treatment. So, I was one of the one of the sort of early uh, people in the UK to use lingual orthodontics. I think there were only about five people in the whole of the UK at the time that were offering the treatment. And so it just built from there. Uh, so I ended up being chair of the British Lingual Orthodontic Society. Uh, and we uh, we had the European Societies Conference there in 2010. So my name has definitely become linked with lingual, but I do do lots of other types. So I'll do uh, aligners, like the sort of Invisalign, those sorts of things, as well as um, as well as doing braces, uh, fixed braces that we kind of all know. The one, the one constant has been change. It's been change all the way through. It's, uh, I suppose it keeps you keeps you interested in what you do, really, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, when did sustainability in dentistry become a focus for you? In dentistry, it, it struck me a lot later. Really, I think the it's it's something that's gradually, gradually crept in into my life. I think the first thing that I noticed was the frustration with every single time I went to buy food, it was wrapped in plastic, polystyrene, all sorts, and even even sometimes if I was ordering things um, through uh, well-known companies that deliver you'd get a small object in a huge box so you know even cardboard wasn't being used in a particularly sustainable way um, and not only that but the big cardboard box was filled with uh, large amounts of plastic foam wrap or um, the stuff that stops things rocking around in the box and it, it, it just seemed to me that um, people are just trying to advertise their product by having a big box it seems to be the only explanation I could find for for doing that kind of thing and uh, when you have children as well, uh, the this sort of burning sense of wanting to do something uh, kind of eats away at you just very slowly. And then while on the Carbon Almanac, once I joined, I started to realise that I was just allowing everybody 
in my business to just control what we were doing and just ordering what what was available and it it led me to actually start asking questions so it's only relatively recently that i've been thinking about sustainability in dentistry itself although um, we have uh, just finished a a four-year refurb of the practice Uh, and one of the things that i wanted to make sure that we did was to protect the buildings it's an old building uh, so we had the cellars tanked uh, in a way that uh, would reduce uh, damp from creeping into the building, which has made it an easier building to to conserve on on a sustainable basis. Um, but um, as well as uh, as well as that, we uh, we had things like cycle racks put into the car park, uh, and then that kind of starts to build things. And the the one thing that um, I suppose really struck me the the kind of big elephant in the room was uh, when the COVID crisis hit, because I had time to think, but I also certainly saw all this, this sort of huge amounts of plastic being delivered to us. And some of this plastic was uh, provided by companies that had links to uh, people with government. So there was this uh, sort of um, payments being made by government people to their friends to uh, provide all this plastic. and. Um, we were just sort of using all this stuff on every single patient that worked through the door, and uh, and I didn't didn't like that. So um, we uh, we started to look at, uh, at ways that we could change, and then you start to realise that it's very difficult to do that because all of the companies really haven't got much of a sustainability policy. Uh, so last year I went to the um, one of the dental showcases, a big uh, sort of professional exhibition for uh, for the trading um, part of our our, uh, our work. And I was walking past one of the desks and uh, a lady came around and just said to me, um, are you interested in anything? Uh, and I said, yeah, um, what's your sustainability policy? And uh, she kind of looked away from me at her desk, which was just coated in plastic, and then looked back at me and you could see the horror on her face, really. She had no answer for for, for what I was saying. And I said, look, I had to calm her down a bit and just say, look, don't don't worry. This is, this is a very, very common issue. Um, but I'm just interested in, uh, in in any thoughts you have. She eventually found a product that um, is a Swedish product that the um, the company were doing some things, and then I started to think, well, are they really are they really doing enough? Are they just uh, doing what we call green lighting? So uh, they'll flash up part of what they're doing as though they're doing a lot or to make it seem like they're really involved and, uh, and perhaps they're not doing quite as much as they really could be. So yeah, that, that it was, it was that, that, that was my kind of journey into this really. Mm-hmm. And so how many, how many, well, I don't know if you've ever tallied it up, but how many plastic items do you touch in a, in a day in a practice about, you know, from, and then, the, the take-home gifties, I don't know if you give toothbrushes to take home. and I mean, just the general things that you experience, even as a, as a patient. If there's gloves, there's masks, there's all sorts of things. Some of the things that uh, and I, I see are the, there's the, there's the things that we sell to patients. Um, that there's, uh, the, there's the way that the products are treated. So some of them are just sent, sent into um, landfill. Uh, so that worries me. Um there are lots of opportunities there. So th- things like things that we sell, for example, we, we now sell toothpaste tablets um, because those can be made without creating a, uh, a toothpaste 
tube which has got mixed things in it plastics metals so they're rather unrecyclable some of the companies have actually made them so there's always wastage um, within that toothpaste there, is, there are microplastics uh, to create abrasivity so we're each time we have toothpaste we're spitting a small number of microplastics into the uh, water supply uh, and of course we if we're brushing our teeth as we should that's quite a lot and we we need to continue to do that so uh, toothpaste is one area that we've looked at bamboo brushes is another area and bamboo brushes again bamboo is is a bit of an issue for some farmers because the, uh, the bamboo is spreading a little bit like a weed so there are issues with that in, in the farming community um, but where we're using bamboo brushes we're giving those away to patients because we find that they won't tend to buy them at the moment uh, there are some issues about how the material is treated. So I've, I've come to two conclusions about there's the supply and then there's the demand thing. So when we're talking to the companies, they are not keen to sell something that patients aren't willing to buy. If patients aren't willing to buy it, then you can have this stuff and, and get rather frustrated. So we have found that's been an issue for us. Uh, so with the uh, toothbrushes, because people don't like the feel of wood in their mouth quite so much, and moving their toothbrush around a lot, uh, we we give those away and just say, look, you know, this. And we've managed to find one that has the normal brush on one end and a small interspace brush that can go in between the teeth, which particularly with braces is really useful. And it took us a long time to find uh, find one of those. Um, then there's um, things like floss, which. Um, you have to be careful about it. you have to explore these products a lot because um you know it's all very well buying a bamboo brush and then finding out that the bristles are made from animal hair it's not not particularly something we want to be be doing or silk floss which is farmed uh, as again so uh, corn floss becomes the other alternative but that tends to break split off in the mouth so we found that things like floss that we're, we're not really quite there with yet so we're hoping and just keep our ears open and i think now the the staff are aware as well and so if they see a product come uh, then uh, then they're they're quite keen to uh, to do something the as well as this sort of sales to patients there's the materials that we use within the practice so one one simple thing we've done is uh, get rid of plastic cups and use paper ones um, the plastic covers that we use there are now materials made out of potato starch that um, could be used but again, in our industry, it's rather difficult to source them. So I'm, I'm finding that if I discover something like that, then I have to start doing my own little research, which is quite time consuming. And, uh, and I do think that systemic change is what's needed to make a lot of practices change what they're doing. And how have your patients responded to the changes that they see? And do you talk about changes that you've made in your practice? Yeah, I do. I, I I, uh, I just say this is one. This is one of the things that we are doing. Um, I don't make too much of a play because I think what often has more impact is if people just see it in action. Because often just talking about it, you know, people sort of, you know, sometimes even start to say, "Well, yeah, but," um, but if they just see something, um, it's like I, I went down because we're on holiday at the moment. I uh, popped down to uh, a store and bought some uh, some food. And whenever I've had it before, it's always come in polystyrene um, uh, things, which um, frustrated me. But just this week, I noticed that they're now using paper. And so they're using a lot of paper stuff, which um, I suppose is, again, a, a small step in the right direction. 
And uh, it impressed me more that I was just able to sort of see that that was happening than have it explained to me by the uh, by the people. But if conversations are started, then uh, I'm all ears and uh, and quite keen to, uh, to to follow those things up. And we've had a few people who said, "Look, I can I can chat to somebody who might be able to help out on this." Uh, and that is that connectivity and that sort of networking that really helps make change. Mm-hmm. Now you've been giving presentations within your field at different events. What have you learned about other practices? Are there other practices who've made as, as many changes as you have? And, and what is the field's response to sustainability? Well, it comes back to this uh, thing that I think um, Seth Godin has said in the past that um, there are 80% of us who'd like to do something to change. Uh, but in reality, we think it's only 20% of us. We think we're a group of the 20%, but it's actually a much larger number. And uh, so those, I, I was quite interested at the start of my last talk because one of the uh, delegates did say, well, you're not going to stop me from eating meat. It was like a, a defensive statement that was said straight away. And I said, well, I, I understand your your feelings completely. And, you know, and I said, I wish that I could have come to you with some kind of origin story, um, a road to redemption of some kind where I'd done things terrible in the past and now I was completely pure. And I said, I can't do that. And to, I'd be a hypocrite if I, if I tried to, to say that. Um, and I said part of the problem that we have is that when we're thinking about sustainability, it's often presented in a polarised way. So we have two extreme viewpoints. And when you have that, it just creates an argument but you, so you either try and side with one side or the other, or you remain a confused in the middle. And the reality is that we're all somewhere in the middle. And in that way, it, it, explaining that at the start, I think, helped to lead us all into that feeling of, look, let's, ex- let's explore what we're doing. And practices were trying quite a lot of things. Uh, there, was, there were a number of them that were doing similar things to me um, and had also found some of the sort of successes and, and failures. One of the delegates actually had a farm in India, uh, and he said that um, one of the um, local farms had been encouraged to use bamboo. Uh, and, and it was from there that I realized that uh, it's treated as a weed in parts of the world. Uh, so there's always two sides to these stories. And, uh, and we had discussions about how, you know, electric cars, for example, there are, there are lots of criticisms about them. Um, but you said, well, even if they're not right now, that at least we might be moving in the right direction. And it, it's that approach that we need rather than just saying that's wrong, so we shouldn't use it. Uh, and I found that people were um, trying to do things more with uh, software like dental monitoring, for example. So uh, people can take photographs of their own teeth and send them into the practice. They can upload them and uh, link that to uh, software and then... We almost become like air traffic controllers. We have a screen with lots of these uh, images on. And you can track what's happening without actually having to have a patient come physically into the practice, which, of course, reduces the amount of plastic we're using. It reduces the amount of travel uh, to and from the uh, from the practices and is safer as well, um, see, with the uh, cross-infection side of things. So um, there, were, there were quite a lot of different things that were being thrown forwards as, as ways to the future. And at the end, one of the questions was, what, so what should we do? What should we do? Uh, and I, my, my answer to that, my sort of call to action was really, 
start conversations with your suppliers because they are the people that can really uh, really change things if you're able to try and become a little bit more local about what you're doing as well so we use a lot more labs locally um, but where where we don't we uh, use scanning now rather than impressions so that uh, we're not having to create or use a lot of plastic at our end we're just sending something electronic to a laboratory and then there's one direction of flow of the product so that we can use it and that's become useful with products like aligners which of course are not recyclable so again my question then becomes to the companies what please aligner companies what can you do about repurposing this plastic which we're either keeping in our cellars and is filling the cellar up or we're giving these things to the patients to keep and of course they're inevitably going to put them into landfill at some stage but there are companies now looking into ways of repurposing things whether it's a park bench something along the lines of something completely different uh, and hopefully with pressure the companies will continue to uh, to do these things and so i'm hearing that you are leading to conversations esg type conversations out where you are with the people you've spoken with how many suppliers have you had conversations with out beyond the the one example that you shared i mean are you finding them open to having this type of conversation yeah it's 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 variable the um the the first conversation i had was something where we were just given an example of something that was already happening so i i felt that the, the company was probably not going to be that open to discussion um, and another company I spoke to, um, they, the, the the person that talked to me said that uh, she would definitely be talking to a boss about it and that they would like to put a pack together. And another company, I, I did end up speaking to the sales director for a, probably about a good half an hour. And he said he would put together a, um, a, a, a package that we could give to patients that have got all the things in that uh, that are needed. And um, we, we did get this box through. It was quite big. It was a lot bigger than was needed. And, uh, and it had, it was going to be 20 pounds for uh, per patient. And at the moment, the things we sell are for around seven. So there comes a tipping point where people are just not going to buy something. So it's impractical. Um, but it, it, um, what we've done is we've selected the best bits of the package that uh, they put together. Um, and we put them in a smaller um, package with other things that we use as well. Uh, and so it's led us to uh, to discover a few things that we uh, we hadn't got. So some separate interspace brushes, which are bamboo, uh, that we use. So it's um, it's an ongoing thing. And I have talked to quite a lot of companies. And um, on, my, on my LinkedIn profile, Dental Monitoring contacted me, and uh, they were they were quite interested in um, how they can how they can help. And uh, some of the plastic retractors that they give to patients, they're trying to create something different which is is more sustainable so it seems that it's in a lot of people's minds but there's definitely that pareto principle of there's this like the sort of 80 percent that are all ears and then 20 percent who are perhaps not really going to do very much um, but of those 80 percent uh, some of them are struggling to uh, to to change i think and um, so it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing for sure from what i've read the uh, of course the travel back and forth to to the dentist is one of the big issues in the well in the field when you look at it through a sustainability lens how practical do you think it is long term to attend to a patient's issues um, beyond their 
original reason for their appointment. So for, so for I could give an example, I've had my childhood dentist, he, he, he passed away, but I was his patient for some 40, for more than 40 years. Okay. 42, I think 43 years. And then I got a new dentist and there it's a busy, busy place. And the first time I was there, they surprised me to say I was there for a cleaning. He says, Oh, you, you know, you have this, do you want to tend to this now? And I thought, what, now you're going to squeeze me in now? How do you do that? How do you build that into an appointment schedule? But they do it, and they're very, they're very efficient. Uh, but there's a huge staff. So I was wondering, how, really, how, much pra- how practical is it for smaller practices to pull that off? I mean, what are some alternatives or options that they might have? We, we use a, a treat, treatment coordinator, and so... Um, often people will contact us electronically by various routes, and uh, then uh, they can some, they'll sometimes send us photographs, and so we can comment uh, on on photographs. We can say it's very limited. We to, there's lots of things we wouldn't be able to do with that. The um, the other thing is that uh, if somebody comes in and they are uh, particularly keen to find out information, uh, even if I have got other patients, sometimes I'm able to kind of there's a gap somewhere. I can just come out see uh, see somebody and have a, a quick conversation about what might be uh, possible in the future and i think that kind of thing is going to get better with some of the artificial intelligence software that's uh, that, that's appearing now it could become possible to scan most of the oral cavity um that that could actually pick up things you know better than um the uh, the average uh, dentist might but um, it, it's certainly not there yet, and uh, people are going to have to move. There are various areas that you almost need to retract to see. Uh, so I think there's always going to be a need for people to be physically seen. But um, the, the number of times that that uh, needs to happen is certainly reducing. And again, during the COVID crisis, when we were all locked down, uh, I saw a number of patients uh, online on Zoom, um, I'd never heard of Zoom before lockdown, and uh, of course, you know, now we're all using it. But uh, the it, it did give me it. It made me realise that um, uh, there are pockets in the world where this has been going on for a long time. You know, where people are isolated, for example, in Australia. Uh, and it was actually looking at some of the Australian dental websites that I found out some of the techniques that I could use to uh, to do virtual uh, meetings um, in in my business uh, and. Yeah, it's it's great, you know. Some and some patients really like it, uh, and we can even now say, well, we often have the situation where somebody comes to see us in the summer before they're going to university, and they want things set up to start. So now, if they do go to university, uh, they're not necessarily going to have to travel all the way back to see us uh, if if we've made that preparation. So the conversation that we have with patients isn't just a case of we can fix this or we're just going to use this product. It's more a case of talking about what are the issues, not just from a dental perspective, but from a, uh, a lifestyle perspective that we can help with. And that could be music. It could be rugby, football, all those kinds of things. Um, but very often it is about geography as well. Uh, and uh, there are opportunities on a sustainability perspective that can, can really help us there. Yeah, this, um, they're imaging your dental imaging that you described, where you can send in images to your dentist, I think that's clever. <laughs> yeah, and well, we with um, I think that 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 can move forwards, and it may be that people can have a uh, a scanner sent out, so they could if they could scan their teeth at home, 
then they could potentially send in uh, something prior to treatment where we can do predictions, uh, move teeth around on the uh, using predictive software. So yeah, we can we can do that. The the other thing I think that I um, I'm sensing as well with the imaging that we're using is it's not just photography and radiographs now; it's the scanning imagery that we're using because the um, every time somebody sends a scan to an aligner company. Uh, and Invisalign is probably a good example of this. They're using uh, various algorithms to try and learn. There's definitely this computer learning that's going on uh, to to find out more efficient ways of um, producing things. But some companies, they will charge you the same amount whether you're treating one dental arch or both, um, which strikes me as amazing because it's going to encourage people to use both just do both you might as well have them both which creates double the amount of plastic and it's not just the aligners it's the plastic models that are created to make the aligners on um so that the um the way some companies are starting to work now is they will give you reductions if you just go for either a simple treatment or, or um a single arch treatment uh, and i think that's another way that we can progress things um and again i've been in discussion with uh, a professor at uh, Exeter University, uh, and he's quite keen on the idea that um, we can do things more sustainably by having limited amounts made and then saying, well, we can do an offer on the basis that if we need to refine things that you just send back and we'll make a few more aligners for you rather than just sending out 40 just in case. Uh, so that that's, um, I, I think, uh, the, the way things can move in the future, potentially. You've had a lot of conversations with people in your field, with colleagues and with patients so you have a feel for conversations that are easy to start and some that maybe are not so easy to start and how might people listening begin this conversation with their own dentists um, I, I think it just comes down to not not making people feel too kind of guilty um, so it could be a case of spotting something that's happening and you say, well, I really like that. Um, are, there, are, there, are there other things that you're doing? And you can start a conversation around that. Um, it could be that um, you are interested in trying to reduce the number of trips that you want to do to the dental practice, but do it in, in a, a good way so that nothing's missed. Uh, and, and I think most dentists have started to become more attuned to, uh, to, to that kind of thing. And it can become a win-win uh, if... Um, if you're able to start those conversations in that way but it, it's uh, it's a slow thing and uh, but more people are starting those conversations uh, and I think people are finding them easier to start uh, as as people become more aware you're having like I said wonderful conversations you've made really noticeable changes in your practice and how you engage with suppliers and you are modeling sustainable practices in your own with your own patients and in your own practice what's next for you well as um, i think one of the uh, things we'd we'd like to do and uh, having talked to a number of different companies that are outside dentistry um, locally um, i've been working in birmingham with um, one of the uh, people on the carbon almanac cat um, and we've been trying to engage with uh, a, uh, a university professor who's has connections uh, with people in other parts of the world and would quite like to run a conference uh, based on sustainability and local and, sm and small business. 
and that to me would be uh, would be great. So while I'm having the conversations that I'm having with companies like OrthoCare, I'll sometimes mention, look, if we run a conference, would you be prepared to uh, come and speak? And it's it's in that way building that um, sort of hexagon of people that are uh, willing to be involved, do something, because um, all all we need is to bring those people together, and they'll be glad to have that audience. Uh, so that that's sort of a longer term goal. Um, and there are kind of friends because I I do triathlon, so in my triathlon club there are a few people who've said, look, they 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 would be involved with that as well. And um, I think to continue. Because I've been asked to do another talk in uh, Scotland uh, next year, so I'm hoping that by continuing to bang the drum, that um, some things will just continue to happen. And um, constantly looking at the uh, the technology and the ways that we can't necessarily just use. yes, we want to use it to make the business run and all that side of things. But if there is a way that uh, we can be innovative in the use of new technology so that it can say help help the planet then uh, I'm, I'm i'm very interested in ideas like that um but uh, i'm also quite keen to call uh, some people out as well um so a good example was uh, a conversation i had with a toothpaste company because i had found out that they send out recycling bins and i wanted one for the practice and they said well you can't have one because there's already one in sturchley library and sturchley library is about a mile and a half away and so I just said, well, how many people take their toothbrush to the library and how many people take their old toothbrush to the dentist? And um, they said, well, you know, that's where it is. <laughs> and that was their response. So they weren't prepared to send me an extra one out. I think calling those sorts of things out uh, does mean something. And hopefully it means that they'll send another one of their bins out that they can come and collect every so often. Um, one of the conversations at, at the recent uh, lecture that I did um that came out of it was that other people were having similar issues with their um, toothbrush recycling uh, firms. Wow, that's an interesting conversation. <laughs> I mean, that's a, where the resist where there's some resistance. I guess you find resistance in interesting places. It's a complex um, problem to uh, to deal with. Um, I'm I'm not too militant about it. I just try to um, just try and make sense of uh, of what the companies are doing. Uh, and if they're good, then great. I'll use them and I'll talk about them as well. Yeah, the conversation is the only way forward. Mm, yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. yeah and some things leave you scratching your head. And uh, there's always another way to continue conversations that even leave you puzzled. Yeah. And because climate change is is a complex issue, I'm all ears and, um, you know, I'm sure I'll be proved wrong, but it's, it is it is that conversation and and it's about finding out more um, so that uh, that you can make uh, more educated decisions that uh, hopefully can you know help our children live in a, in a in a nice planet do you see any areas in the in your field where there could be improvement or shall, shall we call this suggestions for future research do you have a, a hint that something might be able to be fixed i think the um, in medicine in general there is um, quite a, a high carbon footprint uh, and uh, there are some uh, hospitals now that are looking at trying to do uh, operations on a zero carbon basis and I think some of the big organizations could also be doing that kind of thing now and and I think that it it seems a shame in a way that 
you hear about something on the news that one department in one hospital is doing something like that. And, and again, it comes down to conversation and, and talking about what they're doing and how you can make it easy for a lot of places to make these changes. Um, because, of course, if these things are happening within uh, big institutions, it will very often, you know, cascade down into the smaller institutions. Some of the things that we're doing within the practice, I'm hoping will do the opposite of cascade and uh, and perhaps appear in, in, other, in other places. Um, but it is a case of, uh, um, I think, some of the regulatory bodies within dentistry taking some control and responsibility for changes. Um, a lot of uh, regulation tends to be rather more stick than carrot these days. And uh, so uh, you feel like you're bad if you haven't done something. And, and uh, so I think if, if that were changed slightly so that um, people were sort of looked at and said, well, look, these are the areas you're doing really well on. Um, this is one thing that we can improve on. Uh, then um, if those same regulatory bodies were doing things in that way, it would be easier then to add in a sustainability, a sustainability element to those assessments that are made of big and small institutions. And that would help to drive change. But because we're left in a kind of looking over our shoulder situation, we feel that if we make changes, we might be suddenly doing something that doesn't quite fit with a regulatory body. I think that's something that has to be connected together better. So that's the one big thing to, that I would suggest. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection. I'd like to thank Rob Slater for his time and for broadening our understanding of dentistry. To learn more about plastics in dentistry and sustainable practices in the field, see the show notes for resources that will help you explore these topics further. And if you enjoyed this conversation, help us keep the conversation going. Share it with friends, family, or colleagues. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time. Daddy, 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 daddy.